This week's episode of the podcast was recorded on the 2nd of March 2022 at home in Wicklow. And it starts with an angry cowboy and moves on to an angry dictator with whom you could well be familiar. Uh, I have a look at what's unfolding in Ukraine. I look at Putin and the cult of personality and the agenda of dictators. I look at how people are responding to that conflict. Uh, I also talk about, I don't use the term, but I talk about compassion fatigue. I look at how people jump onto hot topics nowadays and play out a very intense uh, devotion to said topic for a brief spell and then move on to the next thing and I express concern that that might be what unfolds with regard to sympathy for Ukraine. Um, Moldovan painters feature in this episode and their contribution to the geopolitical discussion or to my geopolitical understanding. To return to that angry cowboy, I do talk a little, a little at the start about some cowboy movies and I I mess up. I refer to the actor Michael Gambon as James Gambon for some reason. I was confusing him with another actor, uh, but Michael Gambon is who I was talking about. So forgive that slip when it comes. Um, I look at the word stakeholder and why I don't like it when it's not used in a strictly business sense. And I discuss business language and how it's infiltrated um, sort of public discourse um, and how I don't trust it and don't like it and how it's dehumanising. And I finish today's episode with just a little bit of advice for uh, managing. Managing our sort of news related or um, anxiety um, and I just offer a little bit of counsel in that area in terms of just being careful about how much we consume how much information we consume and just to be wary of the the negative effects of that and to make sure we're minding ourselves while consuming all that content that's out there so that's what's coming up today I hope you enjoy what you hear and I'll see you there Right around the corner. Cheers. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. How are you? How are you on this manky, moldy day? At the time of recording, that is. I'm looking out the window and the rain is it's coming down. It's not letting up. It's very much here. It's a meldy day. Imagine if that had been Bill Withers's, <laughs> Bill Withers's song. Just wanna look at you, mm-hmm. and I know it's gonna be a meldy day, meldy day, meldy day. That wouldn't have been very nice, but you know what? There's truth in that. <laughs> Some, some people come along 
and you see them and you go, oh Jesus, this is going to be a meldy day. Meldy, meldy for those of you not from this particular saturated island is a simple mispronunciation of moldy. And I'm sure you can guess what it means. Yeah, not good. Anyway, what can you do? Say la vie. It's March. Happy March. Happy March, everyone. Happy March. March does truly feel like the spring month, even though spring sprang last month, apparently. February was was mild. It was mild. But what we're seeing now is a proliferation of young daffodils. Every road I drive down, daffodils. And at my parents' house the other day, a lovely a lovely uh, array of crocuses and a scattering of snowdrops it's kind of already really beyond snowdrop time i do i do love an old snowdrop i you know the old chlorine schnockta i like a snowdrop lovely lovely is chlorine tear is that what that is is it tear does it translate as tear so it's like snow tear that's rather lovely isn't it that's rather beautiful Good old Irish. Good old Gwaelge. Anyway, here we are. Another day, another week, another episode of the podcast. And today, I'm not sure what direction I'm driving. I have a few little notions puttering around the golf course of my brain. And I'm just going to see. I'm going to see what comes up. A few, uh, a few topical issues, perhaps. But um, I'm going to start. I'm going to start with Sam Elliott. Do you know who I'm talking about? Sam Elliott. That tall, mustachioed American actor with the gravelly voice. He sort of talks like this. Sam Elliott has played many cowboys, amongst other things, in his lengthy career. Sam Elliott is uh, in his late 70s now, 77 or 78. You might remember him from The Big Lebowski, the cowboy who's sitting at the bar in the bowling alley and he sort of narrates the tale. You might also know him from... What else? What else? You might know him from... uh, Was he in The Contender as the advisor to Jeff Bridges' another <laughs> Jeff Bridges's president I think his name was Kermit in that and it was an, a rare appearance of Sam Elliott without his moustache he has a very distinctive moustache many years ago he was in Mask with uh, Schur and Eric Stoltz uh, directed by Peter Bogdanovich that was really the one that probably put him on the map in a in a significant way and in more recent years, he was um, Bradley Cooper's older brother in A Star Is Born. And they had one of those great um, emotional men moments where towards the end of the, the movie, Bradley Bradley Cooper confesses to him that it's it was him. It was his older brother. He's He's been idolizing his whole life. And they've been having a fractious time. And as Sam Elliott turns away from him to reverse out of the drive, the, his eyes are full of tears powerful moment that's a very effective one just like um i was referring to uh donald sutherland's performance recently in ordinary people and that's um 
one of the final moments of that movie where Timothy Hutton playing his son who's been dealing with all sorts of tough stuff turns to him and says I love you dad and Donald Sutherland just whips his head around and looks at him with tears in his eyes nice nice men finding it hard finding it hard to express those feelings all we want all we want is a little bit of love we just want to know we want to know you care and we're too proud <laughs> I speak I speak for all men I speak for myself uh, anyway Sam Elliott just a great presence really this kind of laconic cool headed presence um, who has just cut a nice quiet path through American movies over you know over 40 years really anyway listen I was listening to him being interviewed on the Mark Marin podcast uh, just uh, just the other day and you know fine yeah very typical very typical mark Marin podcast he, he always goes back tries to get the backstory where did it all start what did your parents do how did you get into acting or whatever it is it, 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 he does interviews largely actors and comedians uh and he's just got a good touch mark Marin. he's you know he's very much you know he lives in that kind of emotional psychological landscape and he's he's passionate about kind of movies and books and he just connects. He connects very well with artists um, and creative people. But uh, the interview was, you know, all of that sort of stuff, the backstory, the history, the early breaks, you know, negotiating the career, relationships. And um, then towards the end, <laughs> towards the end of the podcast, Mark Marin very casually asked him if he liked the power of the dog, the power of the dog, which I was raving about a couple of episodes ago and my god like sam elliott who's so laid back so laid back a man of very few words why use two words when one will do very nicely thank you and he just lit up he was like oh my god i mean you should go and seek it out and listen to it um i mean yeah it's a nice interview anyway but even if you just skip to you know, 10 minutes or so before the end, you'll catch his response to Power of the Dog. He hated it. <laughs> he was infuriated and enraged by it. Um, and, you know, he got into this kind of, you know, not marvellous kind of rhetoric, kind of talking about Jane Campion and kind of going, where does this woman, this woman get off coming from wherever she comes from? And, you know, filming there and pretending it's Montana. And, you know, whatever. He can like or dislike the movie, but what really got his blood boiling was, I think it was an ad, um, if I if I heard it correctly, it was like an, uh, you know, a promo piece in the, I think in the New York Times, where the quote was um, about Power of the Dog. The quote was, the evisceration of the American myth, or an evisceration of the American myth. And this just, Sam Elliott, it was more than he could bear. And he was just scathing about the the homoerotic uh subtext and the homoerotic kind of motifs throughout the story and he was just so disgusted um now i don't necessarily think sam elliott is either you know chauvinistic or sexist or dismissive of jane campion he did say he loved all her other work up until then 
I don't think he's necessarily homophobic. I think what really got to him was this idea that the, you know, the American myth by which uh, I think the suggestion was the the notion of American sort of toughness and maybe a particular brand of American masculinity as delineated in cowboy stories and cowboy movies and the Wild West and forging those paths and winning those wars and, you know, settling the land and doing it tough. Um, and I think... My feeling was, and Sam Elliott didn't exactly articulate it because he was just too busy being furious. And you know, the 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 three words that he kept saying were "What the fuck?" He was so pissed off. It was it was very entertaining, and you know, and you know, very real, very honest reaction. And it was clear that he felt, "Hold on a second, you know, this is a these were real experiences." Um, and yeah, I guess he was kind of under, you know why you know there's no myth to eviscerate there um i mean i suppose the original you know it in recent memory the 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 western the revisionist western that you know destroyed the myths of alpha gunfighters alpha gunslingers alpha cowboys taking care of business was clint eastwood's unforgiven um where the the sort of frailty of these men and the, the the sort of deconstruction of of courage and success in the heat of battle, um, Clint Eastwood just ripped that to shreds and did so in what I think is still an excellent movie, um, and which gave us some really great performances. Those sort of four main. Um, uh, maybe five actually the five kind of main male performances in that movie uh clint eastwood himself of course morgan freeman as his pal uh, and then richard harris uh gene hackman um so they were the old guard and then there was a young actor was it james what was his name james 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 oh, i've gone blank on his surname he was the young the young pretender the young kid who was talking a good fight, but ultimately didn't have it. Um, oh, I want to say it's James. With a, it's James with a Z at the end, and then the surname is James with a there's a W. I think that starts it. Anyway, we can go and look it up. But um, in any case, I loved the power of the dog, and it in no way detracts from a lot of very straightforward, straight down the line westerns that I have enjoyed over the years. Um, again, if you're looking for another take on the Western, um, something a little bit gentler, um, a little bit more thoughtful, you could do worse than check out uh, Open Range, which I want to say Kevin Costner directed. Maybe he didn't. He definitely acted in it. That's probably 10 or 15 years old now. Open Range with Kevin Costner and Robert Duval um, as they're just sort of uh, freeholders and they come up against a, a very angry rancher played by James Gambon, James Gambon, James Gambon, um, who, who was born in Dublin a long time ago. There you go. But that's a rather, that's a rather nice Western as well. There's been a few, there's been a few of these kind of more um, reflective mid-tempo Westerns over the last 20 years. 
Appaloosa was another good one with Ed Harris and uh, Viggo Mortensen. Quite liked that. Um, anyway, anyway, this it, I, I I didn't mean to get to get get stuck on the Western track. I love all that stuff. I love the the iconography of the American West and those stories. Um, I like I like the clothes. I like the hats. I like the guns. I like the characters. Um, and I like the uh, that evolution and that reckoning of of I suppose it, I mean ultimately they're sort of you know colonization stories in a way and pioneer stories and um, negotiating the terrain negotiating the you know indigenous Americans um, I mean that that's really the sort of um, the shadow story to all of those westerns. Um, the the sort of uh the 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 whitewashing and the the very um one-dimensional approach to uh native americans um because that didn't fit the narrative i mean probably if you go to john ford's searchers uh it explores that suspicion and racism and hatred um as embodied by John Wayne as he sets out on that mission to to find the girl who's been taken by the Indians um, very uncompromising terms but that is often heralded as you know being right up there with the very best of them the very best of you know western tales but maybe if you're a Native American you have a very different a very different take of, on that I, if you looked at Wind River by Taylor Sheridan um, from about seven or eight years ago, the brilliant Jeremy Renner performance um, and Gil Birmingham in that as well. That is really, you know, a modern Western and takes place on a reservation and looks at the sort of deprivation and the disenfranchisement of Native Americans uh, today. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's set, you know, against the, the you know, the, the plot of a, of a sort of a a thriller really and like a, a murder mystery um you know a sort of a, a procedural police procedural but really really good quite quite tough and grim um as is the way with taylor sheridan who as it happens just to bring this full circle that's what sam elliott was promoting on the podcast um on mark maron's show he's talking about a new western series that he's doing called 1883 about one of those great treks out west and it's a prequel to the series Yellowstone starring Kevin Costner which I have not watched but uh, yeah it sounds pretty good anyway there you go who doesn't like the power of the dog Sam Elliott that's who but I still really like that guy and speaking of things we like and don't like and things other people don't like who doesn't like Ukraine give you a clue his first name begins with v his second name begins with p and he likes to ride horses with his clothes off well with his top off uh, speaking of which that's another thing sam elliott was giving out about <laughs> he, he was giving out about all the topless cowboys just you know striding around in their chaps <laughs> um i mean it sounds like something out of ymca um village people territory but there you go Vladimir Putin, we've all seen the photo. Vlad, bare-chested, sitting astride his steed, impressing us with his 
his virile masculinity. Oh, I can smell it. I can smell it from here. Now, I sh- I don't know. Should I? I should I? Should I? Should I be treating this lightly? I'm not treating it lightly. The invasion of Ukraine is it's just a horror show and it feels wrong on so many levels and the the end game it's it's hard to see what it is or where it's going to go uh my superficial reading i make no no pretense to have any real grasp of the complexities of the geopolitical situation or the geopolitical implications but it has seemed to me for some time that Putin is a very, very canny operator who delights in disrupting Western composure um, and who is, again, one of these strong men leaders who tolerates no opposition and who seems to bear a serious grudge that probably goes all the way back to kind of cold war times uh he bears a serious grudge against the west and against the u.s particularly uh, it would seem against nato uh he feels that russia has been hard done by and he wants russia to remain a very potent force in that part of the world and this is a way of asserting his authority and basically sticking his fingers up to the West and to NATO in particular uh, to to basically go into Ukraine under the pretense of protecting these states uh, at the eastern side of Ukraine, which, according to Putin, are full of people who identify as Russian and they need to be recognized as independent states. Um, now... I heard yesterday, and this is where maybe Western media lets us down again and again and again. I heard yesterday from a friend of mine who's just employed a crew of Moldovan painters that the contractor, the Moldovan contractor, informed my friend that Ukraine had been has been very antagonistic towards those regions in the eastern part of the country and has been bombing them. Um, and that was the first I'd heard of that. Now, you might go, you dirty looking Egypt. I mean, we all knew that. I didn't. And that certainly hasn't come up in any of the articles that I've been reading, any of the content that I've been reading regarding this uh, invasion of Ukraine. Um, so, you know, as ever, the West, uh, the, the media, the mainstream media just oversimplifies the situation and... What we're seeing is, and don't get me wrong, again, again, and unfortunately, this is indicative. This is absolutely indicative of the nature of of how so how so many people engage with issues in the world these days. It's very, very quickly jumping on a bandwagon, very quickly taking a position nailing colors to the mast and it's again it just becomes so one-dimensional and so you know resistant to nuance so resistant to 
a complex matrix being applied, which is not to is not you know and, and please don't misunderstand me. That's not a way to usher in equivocation or to remove you know an emotional response or a, you know an ethically or morally informed response, but it's to look at these situations, whatever they might be, and try to really engage with all truths um, rather than just latching on to one convenient, easily digestible truth. So while I in no way, um, in no way support or endorse and this will be this will be a big loss. This will be a big loss to Putin's PR campaign when he finds out that the Clear Out podcast doesn't endorse his invasion of Ukraine. I know that's going to give him pause for thought. Um, so Vlad, in advance, I'm sorry. I just can't. I can't go with you on this one. Um, yeah, I in no way endorse the invasion. Um, and bombing of the Ukraine and of Ukrainian cities. Uh, my feeling is it's a it's a terrible misjudgment by Putin. I think he's really overstepped. I think the the response internationally seems to be almost entirely um, in support of the Ukrainian position, and it seems to be largely condemnatory of Putin's uh, actions. Uh, I think he hasn't read the situation. I think, again, from what I've consumed, it seems he was expecting Ukraine to just roll over and take their punishment. But clearly the the president, um, Zelensky, has, has been a very savvy and canny operator himself, the way he's conducting his... Uh, interactions with the media and with the public via his phone and recording videos and being uh, defiant and forthright and standing up there and saying no we're actually not having this we're not going anywhere and you know we're gonna resist the the this the you know the oppressor um now when i say he's canny and savvy i think Zelensky understands that there's there's a moment here and that there's an opportunity to leverage this situation to you know to Ukraine's advantage and I don't know I mean why wouldn't he I suppose Uh, I think from a geopolitical point of view and again, I am not I am not a student of this stuff. So this is more, you know, from a couple of conversations with friends who know more than me, including including my cousin here at Hashtag Blessed, uh, who has studied this stuff. I think what's really in the best interests of the world is is balance. When we're talking about uh, when we're talking about countries with power when we're talking about countries with nuclear capability, when we're talking about alliances and treaties and ideologies and, you know, economic economic and political power and economic and political will, um, 
I think balance is best. So, I mean, this is this is the um, is this the is this the real you know is this the real lesson to be learned um, or is this the you know, can can we can we stand back and contemplate the idea that it wouldn't be good for a single organization to have an excess of global influence uh and by organization i mean um uh, you know an organization like nato like if nato just expanded and expanded and expanded until everything's nato is that is that good or bad does it become too too powerful does it wield too much influence I mean, in a way, isn't it good to have a certain amount of opposition to keep things in check? A certain like that's that's where the balance comes in. It can't all be just on one side of the ledger, um, surely. And again, maybe I'm just being completely naive in how I'm thinking about these things. But. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I mean, I don't know how it's going to play out. I mean, I've heard a few people suggest that perhaps um, from within Russia or within Putin's government that he ultimately that he'll push concerned parties to take action against him and to disempower him. I'm not sure what that would look like in terms of Russian politics, if that would have to be a coup of some kind. I can't see Putin ever going peacefully. I also read something about his personal wealth being the thing he values more than anything, uh, even though a lot of this, um, a lot of his rhetoric is dressed up in in a sort of, you know, jingoistic, um, you know, uh, pro-Russian pro-Russian culture pro-Russian identity this assertion of Russian identity and um, a commitment to preserving Russian sovereignty Russian identity Russian safety Russian influence that Russia is not going to be this um, you know beaten child um, you know neglected um, are ignored by the West, disregarded. There's uh, certainly, there is certainly something about, you know, take us seriously, take Russia seriously. Um, there was something else I read that was quite interesting um, in relation to Putin conceding that the Soviet Union you know, in relation to the Soviet Union being broken up, if we go back to whatever it was, 89, um, that that, of course, was necessary. Um, and that, but I think the line is that to not value the Soviet Union, you know, is, is insane. To not wish for, a, you know, an entity as powerful as the Soviet Union is insane. Uh but to actually want to actually wish for the restoration of the Soviet Union is equally insane. So he wants that sort of power and influence and regard and status internationally. Uh, whereas he seems to concede that the that the you know that the breakup and the 
the ever-increasing independence of the former Soviet states is is an inevitability. Um, and yet, obviously, he feels that the only way to assure that his, the status of Russia remains where he wants it is this act of aggression against Ukraine, which is, I think, fundamentally... You know, it's, it's, it's a two-tiered attack. It's obviously primarily, you know, you, the Ukraine is the primary target and it's like, get in line, behave yourself. But it's also a message to NATO to behave itself and go, you don't need to encroach any further towards the Russian border. Um, anyway, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I had another friend who's also well-versed in geopolitics and, you know, he was... You know, he was wondering about how you know people get caught up in the personalities of these leaders, uh, these strong men leaders, and he was kind of going, "Okay, we should be focusing on states um, and what like states want and the you know the desire of the state." But I, I was, yeah, I was questioning that. I, I think so much seems to be caught up in the the ego uh, of the individual. And when you've got an autocrat slash dictator like Putin, my argument is that, uh, you know, as a, as a, you know, a bad actor, so to speak, uh, once again, not referring to myself and my miserable acting career, but someone not acting in good faith, um, that they dictate the culture. So if one argument is he is a product of the culture and a product of the will of the people, I mean, that's a, that's a democratic model. But my argument is when you get an autocrat or a dictator, uh, benign or otherwise, um, and the history of the world would show us that there's enormous, um, you know, enormous influence by the gargantuan personality um, and the cult of personality is part of the trappings of state, um, you know, iconography and propaganda and censorship and controlling the message. Um, and again, like you think of, you know, like those images, like the, you know, they're probably going back 10 years, you know, the, the images of Putin, man of action out in the wilderness firing guns and, I don't know, what else was he doing? Like riding the horse. Maybe he was, um, you know, playing with, you know, doing a bit of falconry, that kind of thing as well. Archery, I don't know, wrestling grizzly bears. Um, who knows? Who knows? But like it's it's almost, it's almost comically cliched. You know, let me show you. Let me show you what a man I am. It's, um, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't, would you not be a little bit embarrassed maybe no like where is your masculinity located let me show you my boobs that's that's where it's located have you seen my i mean it's not it's not even like he has a particularly impressive body <laughs> oh good luck yeah that's uh yeah there's some ego some ego but anyway that's my argument that the the dictator the the toxic personality dictates dictate well a dictator dictates take this down a dictator dictates the culture it flows from them i mean what it was only like a week before the invasion that putin had a, a sort of a staged um you know public consultation with other members of you know russian government 
where basically he was saying, you know, this is my plan. Uh, does anybody disagree? And, you know, then looks around the room and like, who's going to contradict him? Because his enemies end up poisoned, dead or, you know, in, in, in penal servitude. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Anyway, look, Ukraine, you just don't want that conflict to go on and on and on. Um, I'm not sure what the uh, what the solution will be. I don't know what will stop the guns or the tanks or the bombings. Uh, certainly these sanctions that the, the West are imposing on Russia. There's no way in hell Putin hasn't considered all of that. So, you know, St. Petersburg loses the Champions League final. I'm sure Putin's really upset. He, he knew. No one's going to play football with Russia. He knew. Do you think he cares? Not a bit of it. I think the main the main problem is Ukraine are not rolling over and just taking it. So um, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. There's obviously been huge displays of solidarity and support for and with Ukraine um in the last week and it just remains to be seen how long that will last and what that will mean in real terms in terms of real support in terms of trying to bring the conflict to an end as opposed to people just uh as i said before a certain amount of jumping on the bandwagon a certain amount of virtue signaling i suppose to be very cynical about it um you know a certain amount of this is topical let me get let me jump on this issue right now and show that i care um the it's always about the long fight in my opinion it's always about you know are people what are people going to be doing in in two weeks because the thing is people get bored and people get jaded and people get sick of the bad story um i remember <laughs> I remember seeing this laid out in a comic when I was a kid. Uh, this might, I don't, this isn't the first time I've referred to this comic. So, the legendary 2000 AD, the British sci-fi comic, which always had this dystopian thread running through every single one of its strips, every single one of its stories. Uh, always something very cynical, very dystopian. Um, always, it always seemed to find the worst in humanity. Um, but brilliantly told stories and brilliantly etched uh, anti-heroes and heroes and full of wonderful, you know, full of the work of brilliant, brilliant artists Um and it was actually my older brother who brought it into our household. Um, but I used to, so when I was finished with the Beano <laughs> or, or the Dandy, uh, which was more my pitch, um, I gradually got into 2000 AD um, and characters like Judge Dredd and Rogue Trooper and Halo Jones. Um, and one of my favorites was a character called Johnny Alpha from um, the strip called Strontium Dog. And that was basically the you know the strip centered around these bounty hunters who were mutants uh, and very much vilified and unloved by the general populace, and they did the dirty work of bounty hunting, and 
Johnny Alpha, he was the central, the central character, um, and who we were, who we were asked to identify with. And his, his sidekick was a giant Viking called Wolf Sternhammer. Um, but Johnny Alpha, in one of the stories, Johnny Alpha is basically what happens is there's a there's a guy who takes over the running of the the strontium dogs the um the bounty hunters that organization and the the the, you know we find out over over time that this new chief hates mutants and so under false uh under false pretext he captures johnny alpha and is interrogating him i can't remember what he was trying to find out but basically viciously uh torturing him to get what he wants and the the comic strip depicted this brilliantly in that in the initial days of his interrogation the mutants were really concerned about their 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 fellow bounty hunter and you know genuinely genuinely worried genuinely troubled by what was happening to him but over the you know the course of you know a couple of weeks uh, which is you know a, a few panels in the comic strip gradually they just got sick of hearing him cry out till eventually you know the concluding strip was like shut up alpha you know we're sick of listening to you um and i remember i remember the kind of the the, the cynicism and the kind of the coldness and the callowness um no callousness sorry the callousness of that and the journey from total empathy to total disregard really stayed with me I was like oh that's not a very nice feeling because I was still very worried about Johnny Alpha and him being interrogated and tortured uh spoiler alert in the end he got out and exposed the chief for being the mutant hater that he was and he got his just desserts because Johnny Alpha always got his man. Anyway, there you go. So that, I'm offering that. <laughs> I'm offering that as an analogy. So if at the moment, and this is very justifiable, of course, and, you know, there's a lot of concern, and I share those concerns uh, for the people of Ukraine, um, so many innocent people, so many civilians being punished by putin's agenda his ego and his military machine um let's hope we are still as concerned in the in the months to come my one of my uncles pointed out on facebook that you know this is good and it's right and well done and what about palestine because they've been occupied for 76 years um so again it's just to sort of go okay is, is this just the is this just the the pet the pet topic of the moment so what does conviction really mean what does conviction look like and you know let me just jump in and say it's not where i live i don't live in political activism that's not my bag um this is where i live this kind of stuff this is where this is the extent of my outspokenness and advocacy um other than sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee or whatever um i'll uh i'll try to i'll just try to work from my corner over here in the way that i do and it's 
as you know if you've been listening it's much more about the intimate it's much more about the personal uh it's much more about that journey um and i think if that journey goes well the the ripple effect is that everyone's journey gets better so um okay so now a little offshoot of this is that there was something interesting came out of china in response to in response to uh in response to the ukraine invasion and it was a public letter from four or five significant chinese historians who were extremely critical of china not taking a clear position uh, in terms of being critical of um, of the Russian invasion, and you know the first thing that was striking to me about that was that it hadn't been censored, although I believe it eventually was censored um, within a, quite a short time of that letter being public and online. It was removed, but I also read that there's a, a long history of historians having that kind of voice in china and i think they were trying to put it into a context of you know of sort of the 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 balance of power in the world and not being caught on the wrong side of history but there was something else and i'm not sure if it was that response that particular response of theirs or if it was it was something maybe it was the official chinese response which was a bit more uh, ambiguous and you know a little bit sort of sitting on the fence um but the word that was used and maybe this wasn't used by the historians maybe this was in the official chinese position there was the word word used was uh in relation to in relation to china's china's future you know ongoing and future influence ongoing and future status the word used was China's um, commitment to being uh, a stakeholder. And that word jumped out at me. And because I was thinking, I mean, you know, business lingo and business speak, you know, has, you know, infiltrated um you know workplaces it's very kind of dispassionate language very very dehumanizing language very corporate language um and if by corporate we mean something you know language that represents the interest of the corporation not language that represents the interests of the people or the interests of the worker and it's very you know it, you know it, it's in it's in george orwell territory in my opinion um it's language that is you know it, it's de- it's designed to appear innocuous it's designed to it's designed to appear to be without significance or power but I would argue that's where its power is. I, I think it's very, you know, insidious and disingenuous and dishonest. Um, 
and in no way is it well I shouldn't say in no I was going to say in no way is it real I mean it's real insofar as it does serve the the larger aim of of the corporation of 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 the big money um of the the agenda of the again I don't want to fall into bloody boring clichés I was going to say the agenda of of the 1% them those people but the agenda of the people in power the agenda of those who stand to gain the most so they have the power already and inevitably they're always looking to secure uh, or you know to secure that power even more or to expand that power to give away less you know as little as possible and that word stakeholder has cropped up again and again in in public discourse and you know it, 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 it you know these are these words they become kind of meaningless it's like what what the hell are you talking about like in the past you know you go back to you know a stakeholder is someone who owns part of a company or part of a business is, isn't is that right correct me if i'm wrong listener isn't that right isn't a stakeholder someone who has bought shares in a company bought shares in a business they are a stakeholder i have a this percentage stake in this company therefore i am interested therefore i am invested therefore i care about the success or failure of this company um because if it succeeds i get money my investment uh pays back um and then i'm in a position to increase my stake so there you go there's my um, my business 101 model i hope that was an accurate explanation of stakeholder so when did stakeholder get shifted into this area of of human interaction uh i mean i i myself i myself i succumbed i succumbed to the pressure of using um of using the term i used it in a in an article i wrote on the website a few months ago um i was talking what was i talking about (laughs) i was sort of touching on identity politics i was touching on the discourse that has attended to identity politics and the culture wars and i think the, the you know the piece i wrote was largely about um focusing on what's important for the individual not getting caught up in the rhetoric um of culture wars identity wars but bringing it back to basics and that being a positive thing where you focus on what's really essential and if we all dropped back to that level rather than the endless assertion of our identity our personal agenda our personal sense of injustice but to just focus on the necessities of survival and staying well and that we extend um like a positive disregard to other people that that would be a good thing and that my you know one of the arguments and i'm going to read you i'm going to read you the section in a second you know one of my arguments was when the different sort of groups stand up and go, you know, what about us? My argument is that that 
all that does is make it easier for those in power to uh, identify you and disenfranchise you further, uh, ring fence you. Um, here's how I expressed it in um, in the article that I wrote. The article was called "Wishing Others Away." I'll um, I'll stick. I'll, I'll I'll add the link to the article in the um, in the podcast description. Uh, I said, but power and influence are key concepts here. We're all dealing in degrees of each. How much power do you have? And who do you influence with what you've got? And to what end? When your identity is siloed or ghettoized or ring-fenced, it is a dilution of your power and influence. It is a relegation, a sectioning away, a placing in a box. It is a demarcation that forbids participation in the main game, where the prize that has been competed for is to be taken seriously, to be given credibility without qualification, to have acknowledged by merely being on the pitch that you are a stakeholder. And that's what it all comes down to, isn't it? Being invited to the table, having a say, being a part of it, And conflict comes when the gates remain closed. And if a group is waving its banner and making a lot of noise, it's all the easier to identify and exclude. Almost like a version of identity whack-a-mole. Anyway, I'll go on uh, about other things. But you did hear, you did hear there, the word stakeholder. So, I suppose what we're talking about then is... If you're a stakeholder, the business or the company takes you seriously because you have a stake, because the company is beholden to you, because they have used your money to to keep themselves afloat. They've used your money to expand. They've used your money to build the brand to make themselves a better company or business. And therefore, as a stakeholder, you are not to be ignored. You are connected to it. So if we take that idea then into into, um, politics, I suppose, politics, if we take it into international relations and go back to China, describing itself if not describing itself being described by those historians i can't remember which was which but to say you know we want to be a stakeholder and i was thinking okay so what does that mean does that mean then china as is well documented is a growing power in the world um just like india is a growing power in the world and the u.s continues to have huge influence but it's not you know, my understanding is the 20th century was regarded as America's century, as in the century of the United States. Um, this century, it's not really going that way. Um, the, 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 you know, the US as a, a political identity has, um, has probably been enormously devalued um, over the last several years. Um, that, that, you know, probably this kind of devaluation or this kind of loss of credibility probably culminated in the you know the, the the Trump 
presidency and the, the messiness uh, of the Trump presidency, the divisiveness of the Trump presidency. And again, if you want to lead that, draw that line back to Putin and what was his role or his administration's role in sowing the seeds of discontent? What was his administration's role in um, trying to facilitate Trump's rise? Um, you know, the, the, what was their role in the spread of misinformation? Um, I'm not sure, but uh, that's one to that's one to to consider. Um, so, in any case, if China then is going to be a major power this century, and the idea then that a country would consider itself consider itself a stakeholder, I wonder then. And I don't know if this is being uh, extremely paranoid or, as ever with me, maybe a touch simplistic. But do these powerful countries, do they view the world as their personal, um, their personal what, their personal playpen, their box of toys to play with? Do they view the world as, um, you know, as a selection of, of tantalizing items, as a selection of items of varying value to them? And the world, they look at the world simply as a marketplace and nothing else. A marketplace and when they have the buying power, it's simply a matter of how much, how much and when. Uh, are it's a matter of how do I decrease the value sufficiently, the apparent value, the monetary value of that item that I want so I can buy it cheap, so I can flex my muscles then. Um, and so I found myself wondering that, like, is, is that what we're to think? As, as a major stakeholder, I dictate what happens to this company? I dictate what happens to this entity. Um, I think that's a. I don't know. I don't know about you, but like I find that thought detestable. Um, and maybe that's really naive. Like maybe it's naive to think that that's a, a new idea. Um, I, cause I, I think probably if you go back through history, um, you'll find that there have always been enormously powerful entities, um, families primarily, uh, perhaps royal lineages, certain um, countries and empires have held sway at different times. And that's just the, is that just the nature of, of human and nationalistic expansion um that when you have power what are you going to do with it you know if you have if you have that much power is it's like it's 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 the might is right path well we can do what we want because at this moment in time we are the most powerful so we're going to get all stuck up in your shit and do what we want i mean I suppose arguably you could say that's what the United States did for so much of the the uh, 
the second half of the the twentieth century, um, or you know, or, or else you know, the latter part of the the twentieth century, um, you know, U.S. foreign policy was all about you know preserving its interests and pursuing its interests and doing what it could to quash anything, uh, any entity, any country, any leader that threatened to get in the way of that. Um, I mean, and that's another. That's another truism of of Western media the um, the presentation of of you know of of the West as being in the right, um, you know, very very reductive and not really complex enough in how it looks at these things. Um, give us all the information. Give us all the information. Let us make up our own minds. Is that a scary thought? Let's actually let's go to that place. Okay, let's go to that place, the too much information place, because I think, you know, this is this is topical at the moment. You know, if we've had two years of coronavirus related or coronavirus exacerbated anxiety, um, you know, on top of all the other things, we have good reason to be, you know, anxious about. Um, There's definitely concern at the moment that this conflict in uh, between Ukraine and Russia is going to impact us all um if not directly uh depending on where you live that there's going to be again this spike in anxiety as the turbulence of the world um these ripples of instability these tremors of of fear these tremors of destruction of violence um you know threaten to kind of seep into our own lives and into our um you know into our collective consciousness so what can we do what can we do to 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 counter that um like it's funny when my friend was telling me this was just yesterday my friend was telling me about the the moldovan painter and the moldovan painter sort of going well you know it's not as straightforward as you think um sure you know russia's the bad guy going in like that but you know you you know ukraine has been doing this to those regions um and there was a part of me as my friend was relaying this information to me there was a part of me that felt like oh jesus (laughs) i don't want to know you know that was you know that was a part of my response that was i just don't want to know I just had this all kind of clear in my head. I felt I'd, you know, carried out my due diligence and consumed credible articles um, and opinion pieces about the background to the conflict, about Putin's motivations, about possible outcomes. I felt I had a reasonable grasp. And then my friend dropped that little bit of information on me via the Moldovan painting contractor and i was like oh shit and it was on a, on a, on a certain level it was stressful on a certain level it was unsettling destabilizing because i had to try and find a place to accommodate the new information um i had to find a place i had to find a way in to reconstruct what I thought I understood and 
that brought with it an emotional response of um of what of frustration um of feeling unsettled um and i suppose you could say that 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 that, that there's a level of anxiety that came with that of like oh damn i i I thought I had it settled and in a good place where I could grasp it. And I have spoken about this before. I've spoken about this before. I have spoken about, and it's funny, my wife makes jokes about me not consuming, um, you know, being, no, she makes jokes about me being very selective about the news that I consume. Uh, we had friends here the other day down to visit um, uh, an Irish guy and his Australian wife. So they're another version of us. And she made a joke. My wife made a joke about me having no interest in Australian politics, having barely any interest in Irish politics and only consuming content on The Guardian. Uh, And, you know, as ever, there's always, you know, there's a grain of truth in these these hilarious jokes. Oh, how I laughed. Uh, (laughs) But it's not it's, it's, it's not it's not entirely true. It's partially true. But I spoke about this on an earlier episode of the podcast where I fundamentally was saying that there are benefits. There are benefits to remaining ignorant. Now, I'm not talking about sticking my head in the sand. I'm not talking about being in denial. Uh, I'm talking about accepting the limits of what you can know i'm talking about accepting the the limits in terms of time and energy and emotional space in terms of how much can you consume how much can you grasp uh at the time i think i was primarily referring to uh, a lot of the discourse around covid and how people were consuming ferocious quantities of information a lot of contradictory information, a lot of information from various um, sources. And I was sort of just not going down that road. I was just taking on board the the larger brush strokes. I was trusting much of the information I was being given um, in terms of being COVID uh, restriction compliant and rolling with the acceptance that the vaccine was probably going to be safe um, and to conduct myself in a way that would reduce the chances of being exposed to covid um, and i was like that's it i've you know i've enough i've enough other things to be worrying about and, and to try and focus on i'm not going to go down this these rabbit holes of consuming all the information i can get because why well you know one why would i want to do that am i trying to weaponize myself just so i can win some arguments with people who disagree with me um am i trying to educate myself like do a crash course in um immunology or you know whatever whatever division of science um it it, you know it might require me to become an expert in such things as i don't have the time lads i don't have the time and similarly coming back to ukraine russia you know, I'm not suddenly an expert in geopolitics. 
you've heard the extent of my grasp of geopolitics in this podcast and you can see that that's a very very uh narrow <laughs> it's a very narrow field that extent it's like a it's like a two inch square section of multiple hectares of land if that land represented true understanding of geopolitics um don't get me wrong i always have interest in history uh i have interest in politics i am always interested in relationships how do we relate to each other how does russia relate to ukraine how does ukraine relate to the eu to nato you know how does china relate to russia what are the implications for the countries where i've lived what are the implications for ireland what are the implications for australia what are the implications for friends and family in france you know all this kind of stuff you know and, and this is this is the nature of i think for, you know, for, for a lot of us we just kind of go with what we know where are our pools our spheres of interest of influence of experience that's all we've got how much can you know so to bring it back to the start of this section go easy go easy with what you're consuming control the amount of information you're taking on control the amount of imagery and content from the conflict control how much of that you're exposing yourself to control you know how many of those distressing images and individual stories you can take on try to i don't know actually put a time limit on what you're going to read what you're going to watch what you're going to listen to in terms of the things that could upset you destabilize you increase your anxiety and again it's not to say don't be informed it's not to say pretend it's not happening but for god's sake you got to mind yourself within this we are living in very turbulent times very fractious times anxiety it's a, i mean is there an epidemic of anxiety is there an epidemic of poor sleep is there an epidemic of broken relationships um i don't know i don't know there's there seems to be anecdotal evidence because i haven't gone i haven't gone to the to the data i haven't gone to the research but i pick up snippets i pick up snippets here and there on my on my travels my travels on the world wide web and anecdotally and it does seem you know the you know there's a, there's a lot a lot of stuff going on out there that is making us unwell and you can get caught up in the you know you can get caught up in the tidal wave the tsunami of you know of what is you know is it chaos the tsunami of conflict the tsunami of endless information the tsunami of endless opinion the tsunami of uh, of human angst and human crisis and the crisis of of humanity in every corner of the of the globe like the, these multiple crises i mean in 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 my wife's sort of hometown at the moment there's terrible flooding 
and the town has been like really devastated by the worst flood um worst flooding in history um my um my sister-in-law's uh partner looks like he's lost his business my parents-in-law have had the bottom of their house flooded and kind of destroyed um you know lives have been lost there's stuff going on everywhere um and just be careful just be careful with how much you're consuming ask yourself what is it doing for you consuming more than you need to of of the bad news again it's not to be indifferent it's not to be uncaring but you've really got to look at yourself and go how does this actually affect me now if you're good genuinely if you're all good and you're like no no i can handle it it's all good and other parts of your life are not suffering as a result and your own sense of wellness is not suffering as a result off you go go your hardest as they like to say in australia um you know do what you have to do but i come back to my position just be careful how much of that stuff you're taking taking on um you got to regulate you got to regulate yourself get back into the body get into some nice breathing get into a quiet moment put on some music that relaxes you close down the eyes get a comfortable seat breathe in through the nose out through the mouth and deepen deepen soften relax calm yourself and accept what's in your power to control and accept what is not in your power to control and just have a look at where your energy is going try and get your energy into a place that is self-nurturing and then when that's taken care of you're in much better shape to reach out to the people you care about in in a way that is safe for you as well and that's the goal that's the goal folks to stay safe and that's the goal let's you know let's let's extend that goal to the people of ukraine let's extend a bit of that 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 concern for the welfare of you know of, of russian people who don't want any part of this i'm sure there's plenty of i mean there's plenty of russians i know that much i'm sure there's plenty of russians who are like oh man really really i know i know my uh, my cousin here at hashtag blessed he's got a couple of russian students online russian students uh, to whom he's been teaching english and they've been working really hard to get out of russia to seek some other education opportunities and work opportunities and we're lining up their visas and that's all gone out the window now because of this conflict and these are you know very talented capable young people and their opportunities and their future has just been all put on hold and who knows for how long so you know it all goes you know it goes around there's ripples there's ripples with conflict with conflict there's always ripples you know you know look look deep inside yourself you know where conflict has touched you (laughs) don't touch me conflict don't touch me i'm not in the mood okay just back back the football off okay there you go I had no idea where I was going, but it started with Sam Elliott and it ended up with conflict. Um, 
Sam Elliott, he didn't get a good cowboy hat for that show he's just filmed, for that show he's just finished filming. The cowboy hat didn't fit. He wasn't happy about that. This is a man in his 70s, you know? It's like, come on, lads, give him a hat that fits. A bit of respect, please. Okay, um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can, as always, you can show me some love on social media, The Clear Out Podcast on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. The Clear Out 2, that's number two. Digit 2, The Clear Out 2 on Twitter. Uh, you can email me at theclearoutlive at gmail.com if you wish to throw some feedback my way or have some suggestions for future topics. And you can support this show, this independent podcast that I love doing so much. You can support it using the supporter link in the uh, description, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Or you can use the Patreon link, patreon.com forward slash the clear out. Um, I'd very much appreciate it. I'm going to start trying to put some exclusive content for Patreon users patreon supporters so that's uh, something to look forward to and next week next week i hope i hope if all goes well i might have my first ever guest on the podcast uh, that's not, a, not not that's that's you know not including you know my wife and my cousin we did that bit of music at christmas for the christmas episode but this will be hopefully an interview an interview for next week's episode with uh, an old colleague, an old acting colleague of mine who's also a musician, and I think he's going to come on and talk about his latest musical project, and I hope we'll get to talk about wellness and other things as well. So that's hopefully going to be next week's show, if not next week, the week after. Okay, thanks again for listening. Take care of yourselves. Stay out of trouble. Stay calm. Stay safe. Bring that energy in. Be careful what you're consuming. All the best. Mind yourselves. Take care. Bye. I'm